Can you all please welcome Bethany with for me? She's going to come up. She has a testimony for us. You're welcome. Um, okay, well, uh, Stephen just took away like three of the four of my little support system oh, cheering sorry. sections. So okay, I got your back. I, Thanks. <laughs> um, I usually like to talk kind of uh, impromptu, um, but uh, sometimes then I don't do like the best filter um, and I can get pretty awkward. So um, I decided to write it down. And, um, and so I'm going to read from it, which then makes that even more boring. But um, maybe you could interpret it. Yeah. Dance it for sure. me or something. Sure. Um, Maybe yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm encouraged. <laughs> um, okay. So I asked Stephen if I could share about God's goodness. I told him uh, I just needed five minutes, and that would be all I need to convey this journey of what it means that God is good. Um, I know that God's goodness should be obvious, and maybe it is to a lot of people. Um, just look at the goodness in nature and the way we feel when we're happy and things like that. Um, and we attribute that to his goodness. And, um, and so I think sometimes it can feel really easy that, yes, God is good and he's good all the time. Um, but my journey in that has not been quite so simple as um, I feel happy, so God is good. Um, I do want to point out that things like um, a little person giving their life to Jesus is so good. So good. Um, and then I also want to um, preface some of this with just that I personally um, struggle with um, anxiety, and I struggle, not about public speaking, though. So if you feel nervous for me, don't. Surprisingly, not nervous about this. Just... Just things, um, and um, and often I'll pray about things, and I often get no for the answer. Um, so I do want to preface that what I'm about to say with that as well. Um, but don't worry, I'm not going to disagree. There's nothing um, good that happens apart from the Lord. But this is where I'm going to need you to dig in and hold on and stick with me till the end. And then can I? Yeah, go ahead. I'm, Ahead, you're I'm fine. like shaking a little bit, yeah, even though on. I'm not nervous. But um, well, okay. go for it. Okay, sorry about that. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I do go here. Um, <laughs> I'm Bethany. My husband Aaron and our four kids have been coming here for about a year. Some of you have gotten to know us. Um, I know you've gotten to know my husband because he's so great. Um, he's super nice. Um, he's a pilot. He's actually in Kentucky right now um, getting organs. Um, but what is maybe less known you is might that... You have to explain that real quick. Okay. <laughs> Not like a piano. But um, he is uh, an organ transplant pilot. So he gets, he's on call and he leaves and then goes and saves lives. Um, he also then, you know, there's people grieving at the same time. So... Um, but what some of you may not know um, is I'm a licensed therapist and certified in trauma therapy. Uh, I had a practice while we were living in Kirksville, Missouri, and I have not practiced since we moved back to St. Louis. I believe that as I grew up in West County, um, in a West County church, I would hear this phrase thrown out all the time that God is so good. We would worship and sing how good God was and is. But there was something in me, even as a small child, that experienced trauma, that I would wonder, what does God being good mean? How do hard tragedies happen, and how does God's goodness coincide with some of the worst things that can happen? So I began to separate the two ideas. God is good, but I couldn't say that in the context of tragedy. I had to separate them. It became more of head knowledge to me. Like any good girl who grew up in a church planted by Covenant Seminary, I was good at catechism, and I could learn and have head knowledge even when my feelings didn't align. I knew scriptural truth regardless of how I felt or the experiences I had. Well, this worked well for me as a kid because it's almost like I knew what I didn't know. I knew I didn't understand, and this was something I needed to just trust to be true. God started to unravel this separation of tragedy and how God is still good in 2019 when the song, You're a Good, Good Father, came on the radio. 
At that time, I was sitting in my car getting ready to go to the graveside funeral of my friend's infant son. This is when the ability to separate God's goodness from awful tragedy was impossible. I, couldn't sep I could separate it from myself, but not from my friend. She's an amazing mom, woman of God, and was a blessing to my family and many others. Her son, had a pleasant, her son was a pleasant surprise and a gift of God's goodness, as she would say. Then through serious tragedy, he was gone. So how could God be good in both? As I began to struggle with no longer being able to separate this, I didn't know at the time this was also going to be the intensifying and adding of a lot of personal difficulties for me and my family. So how in the absence of feeling, in the absence of what we call material blessings, how is God good? How could I sing of God's goodness and know what I know? When I sat with people and they told me of complete horrors and terrors and the worst this world could offer, how could I talk to them of God and his goodness? How could I myself hold on to both? Through the last five years, at different moments in different ways, as I struggled with this, God would show me different aspects of his goodness, apart from worldly, tangible offerings of his goodness. This is hard to explain, so I want to share an analogy with you. It's a catechism-type thing I did with my girls during homeschool. We found it in a book called The Moon is Always Round. Without telling you the entire story, because I promised five minutes, um, I'm going to tell you the point. In the story, the father and son often talk about the moon. They point out its different stages and the different ways it appears. Throughout the story, the father continues to remind his young son that regardless of what he sees or what appears, the moon is always round, even if it's just a sliver. The father uses this to teach his young son that God is always good. He tells him that even when we can't see his goodness or feel his goodness, he is still good. This whole, this whole story takes place while the father and son are anticipating the birth of his new little sister. This story ends in tragedy, but the father at the funeral is able to ask his young, young son, what is the moon? His son answers, always round. Then his father says, and what does that mean? The young son answers that God is always good. This was a children's book, yet the impact on me and my struggle with what it means for God to be good in the midst of tragedy was profound. Is God's goodness tangible? Sure, nothing good comes from anything other than our God. But when we fall into relying on tangible ways of measuring God's goodness, we miss the full moon. We miss the completeness of what makes God truly good in the midst of devastation and tragedy. My journey with understanding God's goodness is far from over. In fact, I probably still only see or understand it in a minuscule way. But through the last five years, God has shown me two things of his goodness. The first is that his goodness is about the hope only he can give. This is the hope that Jesus will return, that this world and our lives will be redeemed. Eternal life with our Savior is better than the best goodness this world can offer True. and strong enough to stay good even in the midst of tragedy. Hope. Hope is an offering of his goodness. Hope is what we hold on to even when everything else is stripped away. The second is that God is in control. As hard as this was for me to grapple with, that God ordains all things, even tragedy, I began to realize there is so much goodness in knowing that nothing happened outside of my Father's will. I can't control, I can't change or control God. I get to rest in Him. He promises to work all things for my good, another non-tangible and tangible concept for another time. I get to rest in the fact that he holds me. He holds me in tragedy and triumph. He orchestrates all things, and not one hair from my head is lost without his willing it. While this can also be hard, I have seen it bring so much peace to those who are in really hard, dark places. Hmm. They feel known, and they feel seen. They know, what they, have, they know that they have hope, and that God is truly in control. I hope this made even a small amount of sense to at least someone, or maybe if this was super obvious to you all, please be gracious with me as I shared my pearl with you. God has walked with me through the deep, and he has allowed me to enter the deep with others. If this wasn't a super obvious topic for you, or if you struggle with God's goodness, or God ordaining all things, or even just struggle with everyday anxiety, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I would love to talk or pray with you. 
I encourage all of you over the next month or even take the whole summer while the weather is warm. Get outside at night and pay attention to the moon. Look at what the shape is, or maybe it's even covered by clouds. Remind yourself that regardless, the moon is always round. When you remember this, please remember that God is always good. Amen. That's good. Thank you, Bob. That's great. Praise the Lord. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, it's. Yeah, and can you? What is the blood moon? Can you remind? It's the it's a lunar eclipse that turns the moon red too. That's wow. We didn't plan that, by the way. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, praise God. The Lord is good, isn't He? Do you think that the world would like you to? see the reality of what it is, or just to look at the facade of what it wants to be? You know what I mean by that? Do you think that the world, anybody in the world, people, the systems of the world, do you think that they want you to see them as they really are, or the facade that they want you to think is happening? It's the facade. It's the facade, right? Why do you think social media is so popular? Because you get to be whatever you want to be on there anything you want to be. And you don't have to be who you really are. Have you heard about um, just random things in the news that shock you sometimes? Stuff that's weird? Not even like immoral things, just sometimes you're like, what is happening? This world is not as shiny as everybody wants it to think. Do you think there's a lot of uh, Christians in the world who would like you to see them through the facade of what they present rather than who they really are? Sure. Sure. You know, one of the things that Bethany said, and I appreciate that she ended with, is uh, she's willing to stand with us and ready to pray and encourage us and be there. Because in her own journey of seeing these things doesn't mean that she's then devoid or better than anybody else, per se. But she's seen what God has done. She has hope in him. And she wants you to see that too. And she wants you to stand in that. I'm saying that because it's very infrequent nowadays for anybody anywhere to be real about things, to really be real about things, especially when things are bad. And the reality is God has called us to be a people who walk in the truth, who walk in the truth. You know, when Jesus was walking around on the earth, uh, he was an actual, I mean, Jesus, he's God, and he's a person. He's fully God, fully man. And as a person, who, what was he? How would you describe Jesus? What was he like? Not just his character. I mean, what was he like? Well, how would you describe Jesus to somebody who doesn't know? What do you think? Well, most of the images we have of him, he's very, you know, attractive, good-looking guy. Yeah, you know, so Harold. the pictures, probably blonde hair, blue eyes, right? From all the, with a perfect beard, like that's how, but those are the things that we see in some stained glass that's not really true. What is he really? Yeah, the Bible says that he wasn't one necessarily to be esteemed in terms of physical appearance. You know, I don't, don't, I don't think that makes him ugly, you know, but it doesn't necessarily mean he's like whoever the, I don't even know. I try to think of a really handsome actor and Tom I can't. Selleck. Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck. That's <laughs> 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 awesome. Tom Selleck. I'm going to use that one. That's a good one. Tom Selleck. All, everybody under the age of 20 right now is like, who? Who? It's fantastic. Tremendous. Yeah, he's super gracious. He was. He was the life of the party. Absolutely. What else was he like? You think he was super tall? Christian's like no. Why? What Christian? What does it tell me? Yeah. Cause, cause who? What is he? Who is he? He's Jewish, from the Middle East. He's not a white guy. He's yeah, he's Michael's Jewish. Maybe he's that height. I don't know. Yeah. Hey, life of the party. I I could see it. Yeah, he's a Jewish guy. Now, what does it mean to be a Jewish person of average height? Probably. I mean, he could have been short and tall. We don't know. We don't know exactly. But I tell you this: when you see him face to face, it won't matter. Because he's God. So it's, I mean, he shines like the sun. 
It's, he's everything you want. Having said that, as a person walking around, he was walking around in Palestine. And he was walking around in a time in Palestine when it wasn't great. What, what was happening? The Romans were occupying and oppressing the people. So when Jesus says, turn the other cheek, everybody knows that you usually get slapped by the, by the guards and the centurions. And if you fight them, what are they going to do to you? Yeah, or kill you. You don't matter. Do the Jewish people matter? To the Romans, no. No. So even Paul later is being beaten Paul the Apostle, called by God, sees Jesus. He writes most of the New Testament. He's being beaten up by people. And then he cries out, would you do this to a Roman citizen? And suddenly fear comes on them because they thought he was just a Jew. But he's not. He's a Roman citizen, and it changes everything. But that can show you right there the comparison between being a Roman in that culture and being a Jew. You beat that guy. It doesn't matter. Versus, whoa, he has rights. That's very different, isn't it? And so Jesus is living in a time that's an oppressed time, and he's, he's speaking to people who are not usually the elites. So these are the people who are poor, hurt, disenfranchised, demon-possessed. These are people who were on the fringe of society. These were people who had ailments that could not be healed by physicians. These are people who had spent everything they had. These are people who are totally disenfranchised, and oppressed, and second-class citizens, and had no rights. And Jesus is bringing the gospel to them and graciousness. But think of that world. Was it happy? Definitely not. Definitely not. And somehow, over time, the church has wanted to sort of blind our eyes to those things. And everything is about victory, and everything is about goodness, and everything is about happiness, and everything is about your contentness. I heard somebody talking about the gospel the other day, and they said, they said, if you will just receive Jesus, then your problems will go away. God will love you. Everything will be great. And you're going to know life like you've never known it. Now, that's not really biblically accurate. Now, does your life change? Absolutely, because it changes you. The Bible says you become a new creation in Christ. And when you are saved from sin and death and suddenly become alive in him, it really is like colors are more vibrant. Life really is better. But also when Jesus saves people from horrible things or people came before him falling at his, knee, at, his, at his feet and grabbing onto him and saying, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. What did he say to him? What did he say to those people? Oftentimes he healed them. He said, your faith has made you well. Go and sin no more. And the realities of this life were not lost on Jesus because Jesus walked in the midst of all of the junk of the day. You know, Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He left a heavenly throne to not have a palace, to go where he would have no place to rest his head. He just went where God called him to go, everywhere. Jesus didn't have a megachurch. He didn't have beautiful cars shining. He was there to do God's work. And one of the reasons I'm telling you this today is because if we love Jesus, if we really are his, then we can't have blinders on our eyes to the stuff that's in the world and to the junk that's out there and just be so committed to our own happiness that we miss out on actually doing the mission that God's called us to. There's a big difference in that. Will you turn with your Bible, in your Bible, please, to Isaiah chapter 59? It's right in the middle of your Bible, almost, almost in the middle here. I have page 618. My brother David hates it when I say that but I love giving you the page number. I don't know why. Isaiah chapter 59. This is a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. He's prophesying to the Lord's people. They are in rebellion. They're being judged. And Isaiah's vision is of this champion who's going to come and this messianic age, this kingdom time, like Mike prayed about today, of the mountain of the Lord being established. And what does that look like? And, and the Lord's champion, what does he look like? And Isaiah 59 is talking about evil and about whole bad things that are happening and the Lord's judgment on those things. And we're going to start reading at verse 14. 
verse 14. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Let's pause there just for a second. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands afar off. Truth has stumbled in the public squares. What an image there. Truth stumbling in the public squares. Doesn't that sound like today? Truth stumbles in the public squares. What, what are those public squares? Can, do you even know what to believe now? Of what different places tell you? Everybody has different opinions. Everybody's sharing opinions everywhere. Where is the facts? We don't even know. Things are all over the place. And truth stumbles so much so that uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Does that sound like today? What does that mean, do you think? He who departs from evil makes himself a prey. It means the culture is so committed to evil that if you stand up and say the truth, you will be vilified. You will be vilified. Did you know that right now there's a, uh, there's a measure going around to try to bring uh, justice for pedophiles? That those who are pedophiles, uh, it's not their fault and they should be allowed to have their expression. And, the, the, and our courts should protect them to be able to give in to some of their desires. But we need to protect children, of course. But we can't, we can't challenge their truth. That's their truth. And they're pedophiles, and that's how they are. Um, and so we need to not challenge that. Truth stumbles in the public squares. Uprightness cannot enter. If you speak against that, you make yourself a prey. Where do you make yourself a prey? At work, online, in your own family. And I'm not talking about whether or not you, you support President Biden or you support former President Trump or whatever. Take those politics and set them aside. We're talking about righteousness and uprightness, not about American politics. But think about family gatherings where you know what you can't talk about. Because if we talk about these things, it's not going to be a good Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's going to be a little rough. And those things, especially politics aside, put those aside, you, can, you can't, I know you can, I bet you can think everybody of three things that if you brought up morally right now with family members, it would be, man, the, the family chat would go crazy. The family little messenger board thing or, or text messages or however you communicate with your family or Thanksgiving itself, you can think of that uncle who's not going to come, that brother or sister who will not show up if you start talking about these things. If you say Jesus Christ is Lord and he's the only way, will aunt so-and-so come or will she avoid you? And truth makes us a prey, doesn't it? Now, we need to be wise in how we talk to people. We also need to be wise and gracious like Jesus in how we present things and talk to people. I'm not saying we should smack people in the face with Bibles. I'm not saying that. I'm also saying watch for moments that are right to talk to people. Jesus went to parties where bad things were happening. Bad things were happening. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day challenged Jesus and said, what are you doing? Going to those places are horrible. You can't go there. But when Jesus showed up, those things stopped. And he went, and suddenly life changed in those places because he was full of life and full of truth. And he challenged things and said the truth. And at the same time, just by his presence, things went away. Have you ever been talking to somebody who is just cussing like a sailor? I say sailor because Army people are better than Navy people. So. Um, I used to be in the Army once upon a time. So, but man, foul mouth. And then you start talking to them about something, and you're chatting away. And then something slips out about, I was at church recently, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry for, and they're trying to pick their words because there's cuss words they're deleting out of that, you know, like that's going to make them better now. Have you ever had that happen? Man, my favorite thing, my favorite thing is sometimes we talking to somebody because I, I was in the army, like I have been around a lot of things. And so, um, and I like cars. And so mechanics, soldiers, like some words that come out, especially working on a car, if a bolt breaks, 
man. Oh, so frustrating. Anyway, talking to mechanics, sometimes words come out. So I'm, I'm doing car stuff and talking to guys, and one of my favorite things is we'll start chatting, and I'm, we're looking at an engine or whatever, and you know we're having a discussion about whatever, and they go, hey, what, what do you do? Because they can tell I'm not a mechanic because I broke everything. So what do you, what do, you do? I said, well, I, you know, I'm a minister in a church, and I, I preach the gospel. And they're like, Ugh! oh, man. Uh, said a lot of things. I said a lot of things. Sorry about that. I had one guy, I had one guy one time put out his cigarette, put it out, and he's like, I'm trying to quit, I promise. I'm trying, oh man, I smoked marijuana last night. I'm trying to quit too, that also, and it's really, it's really, hmm, it's really hard. And I was like, it's okay, it's all right. People are funny though. And I'm saying that because we know this is the difference. The world is ugly when you go into it. And Jesus, who was an oppressed Jew in terms of a political sphere, went amongst the people who were in darkness. So much so that when he was challenged by those same religious leaders, he said, it's not the healthy who need a physician. The doctor doesn't go to the healthy people. He goes to the sick people. And now he finds himself in the midst of these people who are walking in darkness, but he doesn't walk in the darkness because he is the light. And where he goes, it shines light on people. Why do you think people get all uptight about speaking that way? Because they know you don't. Because that should be our reputation. It should be your reputation, especially as you get to be friends with those mechanics and know them and stand with them and pray with them and help them. And then you're watching for opportunities of what God's doing and you're not jumping in with political views. Instead, you're just full of the grace of God. And the gospel is your weapon to speak into every situation. You know, it's so funny how God puts us in those situations where now you represent him by saying what he's like. What is he like? Did you know that talking about faithfulness in marriage is so countercultural now? It's so countercultural. It's, uh, it's, it's wild. I saw an interview with a young lady the other night who was talking about how she needed counseling after she had her first sexual encounter because she wasn't prepared for the emotion she would have, knowing that she had saved that for one person for so long that now getting back into dating and casually doing things with other people, she felt bad about it. So she wanted to go and deal with this guilt. And the thing is, God's word and his pattern for life is innate in people. I used to have a professor say that we have, we have echoes of Eden that come through us of what it's supposed to be like and what God's kingdom is like, and it's there. And now you show up, and you're not just an echo, you're the voice to speak what Jesus says, to honor him and to stand for him and to live like him and to love people like he does and to speak the truth. And sometimes that truth is biting. The Bible says that it's like a two-edged sword that cuts us to the very core of who we are when we speak the word of God. But I'm telling you in wisdom, we are also in a time when the truth is stumbling everywhere. We're in a time when those who depart from evil make themselves a prey. But, but verse 15 goes on. It says, the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered why there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing. He wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his, en his enemies. To the coastlands he will render repayment, so that they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, with the wind, which the wind of the Lord drives. And, he and a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And the great hope that Isaiah sees is not just the judgment of God, but that God himself is bearing his own arm to put on salvation and come himself to rescue his people. And Isaiah sees this, and he's speaking to a people where truth has stumbled. 
Idolatry has taken hold. The, the national religion has changed from worshiping God with the Israelites to now worshiping Baal and other idols. And he's crying out to them to say, return to the covenant. Return to what God has shown us. Return to the law. Return to him. He's the only way. And now he's seeing God is coming himself to make this right. And it's terrifying. And there's also hope in it. Because God is not going to leave things in the darkness the way that they are now. Will you turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 6? It's in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 6. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. My favorite way to remember that is Gentiles eat pork chops. It's my favorite one. Michael gets it. Galatians chapter 6. Let's start reading at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, Paul says to the church, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not against your aunt and uncle. It's not against that brother. It's not against that sister. It's not against that friend or neighbor or coworker. But we wrestle against the rulers, against the, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness that is given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Praise the Lord for his word. What does that remind you of? It's Isaiah 59. So here's the question. Whose armor are you putting on? It's not your armor. It's the whole armor of God. This is the armor that Isaiah saw the champion coming in. God himself bearing his arm for salvation of his people. God himself coming in vengeance to take care of this darkness. God himself coming as the redeemer and the restorer and the one who will wipe away every tear. This is the God who's coming and his armor looks like a breastplate of righteousness. And so now Paul is telling us, the church, put on the armor of God. Not just the armor that, that you have fashioned from somewhere. This isn't stuff that you make up. This is Christ's armor that gets put on you because you're a new creation in him. And what's in this armor? There's a belt of peace because we're peacemakers and the peace of God holds our trousers up. That's good. Have you ever tried to run with pants that are falling down? Does not work well. Does not work well. And in this context, what does Paul tell us to do? Having done all these things, he says, then do what? Stand. Stand firm. It's really hard to stand if you can't move your legs because your pants are around your ankles. I'm just being silly because it's, it's not the belt is more than that. But for us, it girds us up. It strengthens you. It's the center of what you put on, the belt of truth. If the belt of truth starts to slip and fall, we slip and fall. And what happened to truth in the public places from Isaiah 59? It had stumbled. We can't be a people who let truth fall around our feet and stumble. But instead, we keep it fastened in the center where we're ready. It's right in the middle of where we are. It's holding us up. It's girding us that we're ready to stand firm. We have a helmet of salvation that protects our thoughts, that changes our thinking. Bethany today told you, without these same words, but in your presence said, God had instill the helmet of salvation on her to see by revelation how he is and who he is and his goodness that never changes. That's amazing. And that helmet is sure. It's a good thing. When I was in the military, we used to, we used to talk about how to uh, live through a grenade blast. And you know, what the, you know what the actual protocol to try to survive a grenade is? It's funny. Grenades will destroy you. 
they're terribly violent. But the protocol to survive through a grenade is to jump on the ground, roll with your head, your helmet, toward the grenade, and so make yourself as small as possible so that hopefully the shrapnel will get stuck in your helmet and not go through you. Now, the chances of living through this are very poor. However, like we, we drilled this, drilled this, drilled this. This is what we did. You, you trust your helmet. Whenever we went outside, uh, if you ever see military people when they're outside, they always wear a hat. And the reason for that is whenever you're outside, whenever you're going anywhere, you never forget your helmet. You trust the helmet. You have to have your helmet. Because if your head gets rattled, the rest of your body does not go well. If your head gets affected and you can't see and you can't go, you're in trouble. And so you have to protect your head, protect your thinking. And God has given you salvation over your brain to change your thinking, to think like him. How great is it that when we don't know what to say and we're in those moments and we say, Lord, the darkness is everywhere, what do I do? Jesus said, don't worry about what to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words. And he speaks to you, and in your mind, you suddenly have scripture that comes out of you, and the word of God starts to pour out of your mouth. You're like, where is this coming from? It's helmet of salvation stuff. Because this is how God deals with things. His word doesn't return to him void, and we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We don't need to punch somebody. Instead, the word of God comes out as we deal and battle with principalities and powers. And God uses us and he equips us with that salvation over our mind, over your head, to protect you and to move you forward and to change your thinking. How cool is that? That's very cool. What else do we have? We have shoes of the gospel of peace. They're ready. We are ready to bring the gospel to anywhere. What else do we have? Sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. We cut through things. What else do we have? Shield, shield of faith by which we extinguish all the works of the evil one. Faith in God. And what does he call the people to do? Stand firm. He also gives, admonishes, us, admonishes us that we're to pray often to come and battle for the Lord. And so even praying for Paul who's in chains, even praying for all the saints, and we get behind that shield of faith that God supplies so that we can stand firm and the devil's attacks are futile against us. Now, if we try to bring up that faith like some kind of weird wizardry thing where you're going to, I'm going to make my shield and you're going to make it, it's going to fail. Because the Bible tells us that faith comes from God. And so you're using a shield of faith, faith that is supplied by God himself to protect you. And all you have to do is receive it and stand in it and trust him that he has given you a good shield. That's way better than trying to manufacture the faith yourself. Now, do you have faith? Yes. Does God give you the faith? Yes. Did God give you the faith first and then you had faith? Uh, yes. No. It's, you're doing it with him. How can I say that? Because the Holy Spirit's in you. Because God himself is leading us and guiding us and moving us forward. And he has equipped us to do all that he has called us to do. You know, the sword of the Spirit is an interesting thing. When I was a little kid, um, I wanted a lightsaber so bad. Man, a lightsaber. Have you seen the toys that kids have nowadays? These lightsabers are amazing. When I was a little kid, wiffle ball bat. That was my lightsaber. And it was, it was the best. It was awesome. I fought my dad. He was always Darth Vader, and I, would, I held back nothing. <laughs> I hit as hard as I can. God bless him. Anyway, now, so I used to pray. I would love to have a lightsaber. Swords are cool. They're part of our culture. Um, in this time period, though, this guy that Paul is describing looks like the oppressor army, which is interesting, because everybody knows what Roman soldiers look like. And they are equipped like this with these shields. This is kind of the mental picture that most people would have. But what's interesting about this is the Roman army operated in two specific ways of tactics. Their first way of tactics was to have everybody equipped, right? So everybody had a shield and you were ready to go. Um, and you had to be able to hold that well. They were big shields that covered most of your whole body. And the way that they would operate was they would make rows of people who would um, walk in these special rows, kind of like you see soldiers doing today, and they would march together and they'd make a wall. 
and that wall would be impenetrable. Now, the funny thing about that wall is, and this is the second tactic, is the reach of the soldiers was beyond the wall. The way you did that was, is the one thing that is missing from this list, and it was spears. And spears were terrifying. And they were terrifying because they were sharp, and they were big, and they were long. And before you could engage with somebody to fight them, you had to deal with several feet of pointy things just to get there. And the way that the Romans worked is they locked those shields together, each person standing in a line next to each other, and the next row was holding the shields above. So there were just little places. It was like a tank, a moving human tank, armored, walking around, that if you try to fight against it, you got to get through not just the shields, but also you got to get through all those pointy things. And those pointy things are going to hurt you. Now, what's interesting about this is when Paul describes all these things, the, the, the weapon of the sword is actually the last weapon of last resort to defend yourself. That if things have fallen apart in that column, you have your sword. Because if you usually are equipped with a, with a spear. And the funny part about this is that all these people who are reading this and knowing how Romans operate stuff, who has the spear? Where is the spear? And if God's called his people to stand firm and not just to run and try to, to move forward individually, the answer is that God himself supplies that. In other words, basically all the weapons that we've been armored with are defensive weapons that are very effective, very powerful, very sharp, very good. But we are not fighting against flesh and blood. Rather, we are moving and the Lord is moving us forward. And he is the tip of the spear, if you will, that does affect onto the enemy. He's the one who fights on our behalf. And that's a good truth because it means that God is using us and moving us forward. The other thing that's interesting here is we can't actually be effective unless we're together. Have you ever started talking to somebody and meeting them and suddenly the facade of what they were on, on social media goes away and you realize that this person is a flawed person? Have you ever met somebody and you start talking to them and you determine, based on your career, whether or not it's a good friendship to have for you. In other words, this person's going to help me get somewhere or get, get me something, or I can't really invest time into these people because this won't really help me. And that's how the world operates. You know, that's what LinkedIn teaches you. And the reality is everybody reading this understands that you are not armored individually. But the armor of God has been equipped on every saint, every person who locks shields together to be effective for God as we move forward like a wall of truth and the Lord does the battle before us like the spear should do. And that God himself has called us to stand firm and to be with each other in that process. Because if anybody fails or falls in that Roman line, then everybody is vulnerable. But the reality here is that God has called a people to himself who link arms together to stand with shields of faith that are joined to be able to extinguish anything that the enemy throws at us because we are called to be one body. Why am I telling all these things to us? I'm telling you these things for this reason. We are living in dangerous times. Dangerous times in several ways. Dangerous times because your faith is going to cost you relationships. Your faith is going to cost you relationships. Your faith is going to cost you political clout. Your faith and speaking for Jesus is going to cost you because the, the Bible's clear. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. We will suffer for the Lord. But we're not going to do that alone because he's with us. He has armored you. He has given you strength and he's given you people to the right and left who are going to stand firm with you. And I'm telling you from the word of God today, we have got to be a people who do not stumble in the public square, but instead we stand firm. And we stand firm for Jesus because the whole world is descending into darkness more and more and more. And the reality is now that we have ways of communicating. Did you know the average age for children to be exposed to pornography is now what, 11? Does that sound right? What is it? Eight. Eight. What? 
It's, our world has new ways of finding evil. And God has equipped you to be a people who will stand firm, joined together, to be a wall of righteousness, who will not get thrown back by the waves of what the enemy throws at us, but instead to represent Jesus Christ, to not stumble in the public square, but to see righteousness and peace and joy and the gospel proclaimed everywhere we go because God is still testifying today and he's doing it through you. We're in a time when the urgency of life is upon us because we cannot wait and sit back and just be a people who wait for the next generation to step up and pick up things. We have to be a people who will stand firm, who will know the word of God, who will speak the word of God, who are willing to sacrifice our own comfort for the truth of Jesus Christ. And the reality, too, is we look at the world far away and we see things happening in Ukraine or wherever. And last night I was sitting on my porch thinking, wow, thank you, God. I saw some lightning in the distance. And I remember one time I was, I was in Baghdad and uh, one of our bases got hit with a mortar and they hit the armory. And that thing just went up. I mean, it just went up crazy. And I sat on the roof of one of our buildings and we laughed at how big the fireball was. We were callous to it by that point. But the funny part is, I'm sitting on my porch last night, seeing the lightning in a distance, remembering this. And it's funny how memory can take you right back somewhere, isn't it? And I'm remembering it, and I was thinking, Lord, thank you that that is not here. But we're so comfortable. We're so comfortable because it's not here. We see it on television. It's in other places, the wars, the fights, the bad things. It's in other places, but I'm telling you, the darkness is here. It is here. And if we blind our eyes to think, oh, we're doing pretty good because people are comfortable, we are duping ourselves. And the reality is the suffering, the bad, the junk, it's everywhere. What will meet that? It's the word of God. It's the gospel. It's the proclamation of who he is. It's Jesus and his graciousness going into the darkness but not becoming dark and instead bringing light because he is the light. And now he's filled you to be his ambassador and equipped you with his armor, and given you a people to link arms with, that you can even show the not facade you, the one that you're a little afraid if everybody sees, oh, I don't know if we'll still be friends. But I'm telling you, our relationship is not just based on how funny we are, or how great the meme was. Our relationship is based on revelation in Jesus Christ, that he is, he's our everything. And he called you, and he called me, and we're friends together. And your humor's a little weird, but that's okay. We'll get through it. And maybe we don't hang out every Saturday night. That's okay. Still call me, and let's still, let's still move together because we're standing firm on the word of God together. That's important. That message, too, is being lost. And COVID killed it because now it's totally acceptable just to be an online church and you don't have to have any connection with anybody. And that lie is killing people. It's killing people. Are we going to be a people who stand on the truth, who see the urgency of our age and the time and what God's called us to and rest on him, that he's given us the faith, he's given us the armor, he's given us the strength, and now we can proclaim his word and be quick to speak his gospel. Do it with me. Stand with me. Stand together on this line to see God's proclamation move forward because if we don't if we don't what will happen you know i think about discipling our children and what god's doing god is on the move he is not thwarted he's not going to stop you know even the greatest most powerful prophets of old cried out to god about how they were alone and they weren't sure if things were working and god just told them hey i have people you don't even know about the kingdom will not stop. But boy, in my heart, I just can't, I just can't bear to lose step with what God is doing. Don't you want to be right where he is? And if he's moving and the tip of the spear is over here, we can't get stuck on Netflix over here. Binge watching another show. Because that's what the culture is telling us to do, isn't it? But God's moving. We got to step with him and stand firm everywhere he calls us. What will that look like exactly? I don't know. But I'm telling you this, if you have in your mind that uncle, that friend, that neighbor who popped in your head before, why don't you just say, Lord, who have you called me to speak to? And that person that pops in your head is probably the Holy Spirit telling you. 
I put you in that person's life. And let's be, let's be liberal with the gospel to just like seed on the ground, throw it everywhere, and God will grow what he wants to grow. Amen? He's good. He's good even when we can't see it, even when there's a blood moon and just a sliver. He's good. We didn't even plan any, we didn't plan any of this. Here's what Isaiah 59 ends with. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouths of your offspring or out of the mouths of your children's offspring, says the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. God is good. He's multi-generational good. And he is on the move. He's equipped us to stand with him. And he is the one who is pulling us with him to do his will. Trust in him. And this week, pray and say, Lord, who have you called me to speak to? And then let's be a people of action. This is the time now to do something. And to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you enough. I'm going to, I'm going to trust you in this relationship. I'm going to trust you with this work thing. I'm going to trust you with collateral in, the, in terms of relationships and people and all the stuff that, Lord, if I have to suffer for you, I will. Because you are worthy. Because he's good. Amen? Will you stand? I'm going to pray for you. Father, thank you for Jesus. Lord, we were in utter darkness, dead in our trespasses, but Lord, you sent your son. He died. He was the perfect sacrifice that took away our sin. He rose again and defeated sin. He defeated death. And by faith, Lord, he pulled us along with him that we now are raised to life with him. Lord, you've done that. Thank you for your calling. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your perfect will. And thank you that you've taken the armor of your champion and you've placed it onto us who were unworthy but now are your children. Thank you, Lord, that your covenant does not depart from us. But, Lord, you've put your word in our mouth, in our children's mouth, in our children's children's mouths. Lord, we trust you. We trust you with our lives. Father, help us to stand firm for you, that we will not stumble in the public square. But instead, Lord, by your strength, by your might, by your will, by your kindness, we will do all that you've called us to. Let the calling of the Father be sure in your life. Let the rule of the Son, who is over all things and will speak to you the words that you need to say, ever be present in you. And know the power of the Holy Spirit, who will never leave you or forsake you, because he is leading us and he is good. God bless you. Have a great week. We're dismissed.